This is Kate Moorhead Carroll with the podcast, Find It. I am very blessed to have here today Rabbi Glasser, who has come here to Jacksonville and is serving um, as the head religious authority at a synagogue here in Jacksonville. And um, I am grateful that you're here with me today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. So Rabbi Glasser, would you tell us, first of all, well, before I even begin asking you about your life, let me just say um, how sorry I am about um, what's happened in the past few weeks in Israel. I mean, I cannot imagine. It's devastating for me to watch, but I'm sure you have loved ones and friends who live there and um, watching the violence uh, that happened must just be really, really hard. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Um, well, tell us a little bit about what it was, must have been like to, to, um, to be a woman of faith in the Jewish tradition and to grow up and decide to become a rabbi. How, how did that happen? Where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up um, in the suburbs of New York in Westchester County, so in the Northeast, and I've spent most of my life and career up there, so I'm starting year three in Jacksonville. There have been a lot of cultural adjustments and a lot of learning that I'm doing, Um, but from a very young age, I was raised in a very committed Jewish home, and so I grew up going to services every week, saying prayers at home with my family, celebrating all the holidays. Um, I always knew that being Jewish was a fundamental part of my identity. And I found so much meaning in it that as I grew up, I recognized pretty early on. um, I was one of those people who from a young age, I kind of had a direction in life and knew where I was going. Um, I always felt welcomed at my temple growing up um, in Westchester, New York. I always felt like the best version of myself there Mm. um, and that I could bring whatever I was carrying with me any given day or time into the doors and be seen and and loved. And so even though I couldn't quite articulate it like this um, when I was younger, I knew I wanted to create that kind of community um, and that Judaism was a lens that could provide meaning to my world and to the world of others. And so I was determined to be a Jewish leader and uh, I became a rabbi and it's a five years of graduate school after um, undergrad. So I spent a long time studying and learning. Um, Actually, my first year was in Jerusalem. So I lived there for a year at the beginning of my studies. So yes, it feels very close to home. But I just, um, Judaism has always just been very important to me. And I will also say that I am Reformed Jewish, which I know, um, you know, denominations get a little tricky. Um, But we kind of consider ourselves Um, at the intersection of the Venn diagram of Judaism and modernity. So Reform Judaism says, how can we use our texts and our values and our teachings to live modern, meaningful Jewish lives in 2023? Mm, That's very similar in in the Christian tradition to the Episcopal Church. Mm -hmm. Um, So Rabbi, when you were growing up, did you see a woman rabbi, or was that not something that was possible when you were like a child or was it later on that you first saw a woman take leadership like that? It was possible. I did not grow up with women clergy, um, but I always took for granted that a woman could be a rabbi. So you knew it was a possibility Mm -hmm. for you early on? Mm -hmm. I did, yeah. Wow. Tell us about the year in Jerusalem. What was that like to study there? It was very complicated. Um, Israel and complicated are two words that often go together, of Mm -hmm. course. 
Um, there's a, there are a few pieces to that. Uh, one is that there are many in Israeli society who don't know what women clergy are, who don't think women can be rabbis. Um, and as a reformed Jewish person, again, there's kind of a tension between the Jewish people in Israel who live very strictly according to Jewish law and Jewish observance. And I don't do that. And my classmates don't do that. So while we felt amazingly immersed in the land, you know, living there a full year, experiencing holidays in Israel, which are so beautiful and so different from Jewish holidays in America. Um, so there were a lot of connection points. There was a lot of learning that happened. And there was also a lot of frustration um, because women um, do not have equal rights, um, according to the Rabbanut, which is kind of the Jewish rabbinic authority, which kind of also serves along with the government to set a lot of regulations and rules for how people live. Um, and so we lived in this tension as reformed Jewish women of trying to find that connection with the land and also um, striving for equal rights. I did things like um, going out with a group of women to sit in the front of a bus in a very observant Orthodox neighborhood, um, you know, kind of like in segregation days to say women can sit anywhere they want on the bus, <laughs> even in the most religious neighborhoods. Uh, so there was kind of that give and take between feeling so connected and immersed in Judaism, but also knowing um, there's still a lot of work to do in society. Mm -hmm. Wow, what an interesting time for you. Um, and tell us about the Torah and the land. Um, we know in Judaism, because as Christians we read the Torah, about the promised mm -hmm. land and about the being God's people being called mm -hmm. to this land. Tell us about how um, you understand that, your relationship with, with the very dirt that, that mm -hmm. Israel is, um, is sitting on. That's a, actually a perfect question to be asking right now. Um, we just celebrated our holiday of Simchat Torah, which is actually the day, October 7th, that Israel was invaded by Hamas. But um, as we restart our Torah cycle, we kind of go back to Genesis. We read a different portion each week in order. So we've just read the creation of the world and the Noah story. Um, and this week we are in the Torah portion called Lech Lecha, which is where Abraham is introduced. And so really it's the first Jewish person kind of coming into being um, in hindsight you know in this story and God he's Abraham's in the promised land and God says go out and go on a journey um, but this land is yours um, and this is a promise for you and so this week we are studying that very connection um, and we see Israel as kind of a living breathing entity so right it's the very dirt um, there are a lot of Jewish people who will get off the plane and kiss the ground and um pray and, and thank God for their blessing of just having this place, mm -hmm. um, the very land of Israel. We're also called the people of Israel, um, Am Yisrael. So Eretz Yisrael is the land of Israel. Am Yisrael is the people of Israel. And a lot of times we also um, use that kind of concept in our prayers. So we pray for God to watch over Israel, which means both the physical place and also the people. And this really demonstrates the fundamental connection between Jewish people and the land. Um, it, is our, it is our holy place, and it is the only country in this world that runs on Jewish time um, and has that deep connection in so many ways um, as a place that, that represents um, a lot of the complications of Judaism and that represents our Jewish story. And, and really, Israel was the name Jacob was given exactly. and wrestles with mm -hmm. the angels. So there's this notion of struggle. For in sure. That. How does that work with the land mm -hmm. and the people and the struggle? What? How do you understand all <laughs> It's tough. Um, 
I personally believe in kind of the individual relationship to that struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I love about Judaism is that we're supposed to ask questions mm-hmm. and we carry on Jacob's legacy by wrestling. So we don't take anything at face value. Um, why is God giving this land to us? What does it mean for the other peoples of the land? What are the struggles that we face in our own day that are similar to the struggles that Jacob and Abraham and all these people we read about faced? Um, and so we are a people who constantly is wondering and contemplating and struggling in that way. And I think that's really profound um, because also as, as clergy and as leaders, we know that kind of the learning never ends. Yeah. And so it's this constant push for, for questions, mm-hmm. for not accepting things as we see them but kind of going deeper and saying why um, and saying you know why is this happening to me in this moment in time um, and not being complacent about our own experiences so that very much ties into again both the land and the people of Israel as a struggle mm-hmm. you know and also we're now just also beginning to wake up to the way we um, have possessed land without respecting land and, mm-hmm. and in terms of the environment and the planet uh, this relationship between land and people could be a very holy, mutual uh, relationship mm-hmm. of love as opposed to an exploitation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And when we studied uh, the story of creation in my Torah study group a couple weeks ago, um, we noted in that text that God gives us the land not to kind of own it and do whatever we want, but to be stewards of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're told in the Torah, again, we just read, um, you know, the really beautiful story of creation where we're made in God. God's image. Yeah. And what does that mean? It means we have a holy responsibility to be God's partners on earth. Mm-hmm. And the land is a prime example of that. Uh, because God gave us this beautiful world, we have to take care of it. And we have to make sure we're respecting the environment and respecting what we've been given. Mm-hmm. I like to say in our Torah study class, it's God's world and we're living in it. So how can we take that awareness um, and be good people mm-hmm. and treat what we've been given with respect? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yes, that's beautiful. Well, um, you know, we're just processing all that's happening over there right now, but some people have likened it to 9-11, some people have likened it to uh, traumas of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Um, But thinking about 9-11, I remember people would always ask me, where were you? So where were you when, when this recently happened on October 7th? And then how did you learn about it? And how is your congregation handling all of this? Um, I was in bed. I'd just woken up. And like many of us do, I kind of looked at my phone after I pressed snooze for a little bit. Um, It was a Saturday morning. So I was up pretty early because we have our our tour study and our services. And I had two texts, um, one from a Jewish friend and one from a not Jewish friend. Um, And they both were kind of like, I'm so sorry about what's going on. And so I wondered what was going on. I had just woken up. I went on the internet. I saw that Hamas had invaded and immediately was texting with my assistant rabbi um, to say, we can't go with our lesson as planned this morning. We had a Torah study lesson planned um, where we were kind of ending the Torah and re-beginning it. And it was the day before Simchat Torah, which is the holiday where we celebrate Torah, one of the most joyous days in the Jewish calendar. Um, It's called the the time of happiness. We're supposed to just have no cares in the world and dance and sing and celebrate tradition. Um, And so, of course, 
um, the timing of the invasion was just uncanny in those ways where Jewish people all over the world were supposed to be dancing with the Torah and celebrating heritage. Um, Jewish people obviously um, had to deal with it in a very different way this year, and especially those in Israel who were kind of canceling their celebrations. Um, and so my assistant rabbi, Rabbi Ashley Englander, she actually had a beautiful idea um, to compare us as Jews in the diaspora to Moses at the end of the Torah, because Moses doesn't get to enter the promised land. He stands on the mountain and he looks over the beauty of the promised land, um, but his gift is really that he can kind of take his final moments in peace, um, but as a bystander. So he has that pain of not being able to actually enter to the place that he's been leading the people. Um, and it was a really beautiful way to frame what was going on um, as all of us, you know, in America and out of Israel in the diaspora, kind of sitting, watching our screens helplessly, looking into the land, but, you know, helpless and vulnerable um, and knowing that this is a significant moment, but not knowing how it was going to play out. Um, and so we gathered our, we had our amazing group of adult learners, many of whom come every week to study with us. Um, we filled some of them in, some of them had not heard what was going on, had not turned on their TVs or anything that morning. And we talked about what it was like to, to feel um, our brothers and our sisters in Israel um, going through all of this and kind of things unrolling live and people with family members there. Um, and of course, in Israel, army service is very different. So basically, everyone does military service and, you know, friends of friends being called up um, into the army and to the fronts. And we still are in a moment where we have no idea how this is going to play out. So I, you know, I would say we're still kind of standing on that mountain, um, trying to figure out what this looks like and how things are going to unfold. That's really that's really hard to watch. Um, very painful. Yeah. Um, so Hamas enters, and we we've all seen this horrible violence. Um, tell us about your understanding of that um, mm -hmm. as a terrorist act, um, but then also mm -hmm. your concept of Gaza and what what you understand about sharing the land. That's mm -hmm. such a hard. How, how does that work for you? There's a lot there. There's yes. a lot to unpack. Um, one of my favorite parts of being in Israel is walking through the old city of Jerusalem. And that's right next door to where my campus was. So I have a lot of fond memories of kind of the middle of Jerusalem and walking through the old city. And the old city has four different quarters. Um, and so you move from kind of the Jewish area to the Christian area. Um, you walk the path that Jesus walked until um, you get to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You hear the Islamic call to prayer. You see people kind of selling their goods um, and their materials from all different backgrounds. Um, and to me, that's holiness. All of those different faiths and different peoples coexisting in the same spot. And the old city is a model of how we can share. Um, just because the Jewish people are connected to the land doesn't mean other people can't be. And that's where things get very, very complicated. Um, but um, that beauty is in kind of being surrounded um, by multiple religions, multiple faiths, and knowing there's something special about the land. Um, and I wish that the whole country could be like that. And I wish that, you know, we could all see it that way. Um, my deep connection to the land doesn't undermine or change anyone else's. Um, and so I want to say that as well, that um, just because Jewish people have this unique connection doesn't mean we have, we are the only ones with a connection. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And um, a lot of the rhetoric I've been seeing recently is kind of the, the what about isms. Well, what about Palestinians? What about Muslims? Um, Hamas 
wants to kill Jewish people, Hamas wants to cause destruction. So Hamas is not good for Palestinians or Muslims or residents of Gaza um, or residents of Israel. They are terrorists and they came into a country and took innocent people hostage and came in with the goal of just upsetting everything and causing destruction. And it's causing physical destruction in Israel and unfortunately it's causing relational destruction um, as people are unable to kind of transcend the politics of the region and their feelings about the holiness of the country. Um, to me, we need to kind of come together in condemning terrorism because it's not okay, no matter what country it's in. Yeah, yeah. There are people that talk about um, the Palestinian people being ghettoized, being oppressed in their areas, not having enough resources. Mm -hmm. um, and tell us about how do you understand that um, Israel's need to defend itself, mm -hmm. be safe, but also um, these areas that have never been as successful as Israel, that have not sure. had the economic uh, plenty. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's a very challenging situation. Um, I actually... For Rosh Hashanah, for the Jewish New Year, a couple weeks before the October 7th attacks, I gave a sermon about Israel. And what I tried to do was kind of paint a fair picture of it. One of the metaphors that helps me understand relationship with Israel is that of a family member. You love it, it's in your heart forever. That doesn't mean you always agree with what it does, but the connection is what's important. So, you know, six weeks ago, I urged my congregation to stay connected, to stay informed. There's a lot of rhetoric out there. There are a lot of narratives out there. Um, my gut instinct is to be protective of Israel as a family member um, and to kind of put it on a pedestal. But I've also been to that border wall and I've been to um, checkpoints and seen, you know, Palestinian people and residents of Gaza kind of lining up and waiting for hours to go through security to get into Israel um, to work their jobs. And that's a daily occurrence. Um, so it's not fair. And their situation there is far from ideal. Um, and on the flip side, no one deserves what Hamas right. did on October the 7th. The is not violence. Exactly. protesting and all the good things we right. do to argue for better benefits and better relations. Exactly. It's just like in America, you know, we love our country. Um, we're patriotic. We care about it. We don't always agree with the actions of the government. But what really is important is to stay informed for yourself and to not listen to certain headlines or certain people, but to really um, take a close look at what's going on and, and be able to make that decision um, however you will best you know, navigate it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, what is your hope for what would happen in the next weeks and months ahead, that, that we would come to some mm -hmm. kind of agreement uh, maybe, or certainly that the hostages mm -hmm. would be released, first of all? Right. I think first and foremost, uh, the innocent people of all ages who are in Gaza as hostages need to come home. There's over 200 of them right now, yeah. including over 20 children. Mm -hmm. um, there are one of the most devastating moments for me was hearing about a 90-year-old Holocaust survivor in a wheelchair who's currently prisoner in Gaza mm -hmm. and just thinking about that life um, yeah. and not being able to comprehend, uh, comprehend remotely surviving the Holocaust only to be um, in this situation. So I think first and foremost, the hostages need to be returned. Mm -hmm. um, again, innocent civilian lives. These are also people from different countries. They're not all Jewish and they're not all Israeli. Um, so to me, this is a worldwide issue just on the basis of that. 
Um, and you know, trauma causes a lot. So it's, I think, like I said, we're still kind of deeply embedded in this moment. So I don't know what peace looks like. I think unfortunately we're so far from any kind of resolution, um, that it's hard to picture it. And I've been having a lot of conversations with colleagues. We pray for peace, but what does that actually mean? And no one really knows, um, what the outcome of this will be or should look like. But perhaps, and sometimes it's the worst thing in the world, but we learn so much from our huge mistakes throughout world history um, mm. that perhaps we could find a different way to coexist in the Middle East, to, to have different faiths and, like you said, living um, in respect and peace with one another would be yeah. a great vision. That would be lovely, yeah. <laughs> right? To have that coexistence be the model. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, people are filled with a lot of hatred. Yeah. Um, to be a terrorist, right? To grow up indoctrinated with certain ideas. Um, it takes education and relational experiences to be able to break out of that. Um, and I think that's what's scary is there's so much hate embedded in these actions and that's what's driving them um, that peaceful coexistence would be really nice I, I would love that <laughs> that would be fantastic I'm happy to share um, Israel is holy to so many um, but again this kind of transcends the politics of the region or even the religion because um, it's about people with hate in their hearts who devote their lives to that hate um, and that's really tragic yeah hatred and fear so much fear mm -hmm. fear of annihilation fear of uh, retribution and it's difficult when there's so much fear um, to, to move mm -hmm. forward in any relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm certainly grateful you came to Jacksonville and there's someone else who came from New England. I'm from Connecticut. Um, I understand the transition, but we're so glad you're here. It's just thank great you. to have you. Thanks for talking with me this morning. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I think, you know, a big way to combat that hatred is to just talk to each other and learn about each other. So to me, this is a huge step um, just to be able to chat with colleagues and be able to have strong bonds amongst the clergy in Jacksonville. Um, it's a big deal. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me in the podcast, Find It. Remember that if you keep searching for the divine presence, you will find it. I want to invite you, if you're interested in hearing more of these podcasts, to subscribe. Just hit the subscribe button and you will be informed of new episodes. And before we part ways, I pray that God will bless you and hold you, give you peace. Until we meet again.